You know, I told someone this morning that I'm, I'm, I'm experiencing something that I haven't experienced in a long time. I've got a hangover. And now, now stay, stop, stay, stay with me on that. It's not, I, uh, last night, uh, David Arms and uh, David and Michelle, their daughter Shelly got married, you know, and dear friend, and um, a lot of you are, are there, and I've got a joy hangover. Now, I did drink a little last night, but it's not that. It's a, it's a joy hangover, um, heartful, uh, just celebrate uh, that moment, that event, and then uh, add to it, honestly, the fact that we would watch this video that uh, shows you giving your lives away, and I see many of your faces you know, in that picture, and it reminds me that you do understand we're not here for ourselves. It's not why we... It's not why we gather. We don't gather just for us, but that we might serve this community and, and the world in some significant ways. And then add, add that joy upon joy to this joy right here, that we would be, uh, have the privilege of sitting with uh, James Bach and, and Mike Vogt. You guys know Mike's a layman in our body, but teaches on a regular basis, uses his gift in that way. Um, it, it is a, a full, I have a full heart today as uh, we dive into the next few moments in particular, and you get to be some of you reminded of and some of you to hear James's story for the first time and how it connects with fellowship. Now, in the same way that, you know, when a hurricane strikes a part of our country and we talk about giving, going, we, we, I, we try to identify who's, hey, who's in Houston that knows what this particular neighborhood needs? And we want to identify that place, person, and be able to steward gifts there, not just, you know, spread it around and, in a sense. And that's what we do globally. You know this. We're coming up on Global Christmas here soon where we say less under our tree and more for the world and you open your wallets and, and give in this way. And then we partner with people who are there, not 28, but a smaller number who are there that we can use what God has given us to resource them to do what only they can do on the ground and in that community and in that culture and with those people. And that's, that's who James is, one of our partners. And so we're going to explore his story, and uh, you're going to see a lot of overlap with our own. Mm-hmm. So I've had the opportunity to go to Vietnam, South Sudan a number of times. I, I went there for the first time around 2005 at the urging of Meredith Kinder. I'm not sure why he pointed the finger at me, but he said, I think you should go to South Sudan this year, and I had the opportunity to do so. And I met this guy. And anybody who has the opportunity to meet James Bach in the setting in which he ministers, you leave that experience different. I don't know how else to describe it to you. Uh, You don't just have more information in your head, but your heart has gone through a very measurable and very real shift, uh, seeing the way that James ministers on the ground among his people. Um, And it's unrealistic to think that we'll be able to get all of you to South Sudan someday to kind of see this context. So it's, it's a blessing that we get to have James come here, and you get to have James kind of tell stories and get a bit of a sense for what this is like. Um, I've had the opportunity to hear your story numerous times, uh, and I've been very touched by it and very moved by it. I was wondering if you can kind of take us back to your childhood to get us started this morning. Can you talk maybe a little bit about your, uh, what your spiritual upbringing looked like? And then can you tell us what happened to you when you're in Vietnam, your home village, when you were 12 years old? Uh, thank you very much, yeah. uh, Mike. And it's great to be here at Fellowship again. Thank you very much for having me. Um, I grew up in uh, South Sudan in a village called Vietnam, and uh, until the age of uh, 12 years, 
there were um, there, there was war in South Sudan between the, the north and the south. And um, our village were raided again and again by Arab militiamen and the army, and they would take uh, uh, kill men, take rape women, take young boys to be slaves in the north, and that was coming again and again. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that raised some questions because I've seen people being buried in the ground uh, all, all the time. So I had this question saying, why is life like this? Why do people die? When people die, where do they go? And I posed this question to my father. My father tried to answer, and he said, I said, uh, I told him, uh, where do we come from? He said, we came from God. And then I said, when people die, where do they go? They are buried on the ground. So God is in the sky, and we are buried on the ground. It couldn't come into my mind. I, I struggled with that. Mm -hmm. And I asked my father, will I die and I might be put on me like other people I have seen? He said, yes. You, your mother, and everybody will be buried on the ground. And so the idea of me dying one day and that mud will be put on me on the ground become a haunting fear in my life. Every time when I'm eating food or with other boys and, and the thought of death will come in my mind, I just find myself crying. Mm -hmm. And then there was one, this, a big attack in our village. And at that time, the, the southern Sudan who were fighting the, the government, they had said now, because life become more difficult, give us your boys so that we can take them to Ethiopia to accept to a refugee camp. And so we fled when our village was attacked, and we fled and we moved from South Sudan to, uh, to Ethiopia refugee camps. We were about 20,000 young boys, and we had to walk. And took us three months on the way, and even as we left our village, uh, villages to go to Ethiopia refugee camps, life became more difficult because the, the, the Islamic government thought we are southern rebels, and so they dropped bombs on us, and many people died. There was no food, there was no water, uh, we had to survive, so we decided to be moving at night, and we hold our hands, but lions were another problem. They were raiding us at night, uh, kill a number of people, and so people were dying daily. And when uh, your friend die, you don't cry because you know you are going to die tomorrow. So we find ourselves dying every day. I knew I was going to die, uh, but the miracle of God, I was one of the few people that made it to Ethiopia, and half of the number of the 20,000 didn't make it. They died in, along the way. I arrived in Ethiopia, my, my feet bleeding, very machete, and I knew I, maybe I was going to die. And I, I went there, and we found UNHCR. They welcome us, and they name us Lost Boys of Sudan. And uh, they gave us food, and we were able to live again in the refugee camps. I mean, just, just to give this some perspective, you can actually Google the journey of the Lost Boys. You can, you can look it up on the internet. Uh, picture walking from Nashville, Tennessee, to Denver, all right? It took them about three months to get there. They didn't leave with food. They didn't leave with water. There was no provision. Uh, they were being attacked by wild animals at night, and if they traveled during the day, they were bombed by, uh, by, uh, by the army that thought that they were, uh, they thought that they were an army. So, so they were dropping bombs to try to, to try to kill them. They didn't know that there was a whole bunch of children. Mm. Um, so I can't, you can't imagine how difficult a journey that would be, and as you said, less than half of them actually made it to the refugee camp. They died along the way. Yes, mm -hmm. yeah. that's what happened. James, in the refugee camp, uh, tell us, how, how long you were there and, and what happened while you were there in your life? 
Yeah, uh, I was in the refugee camp for 13 years. And uh, what happened, a uh, great thing happened in the refugee camps. Uh, when I was in the refugee camp in Ethiopia, a friend of mine invited me uh, to, the, to go to the church with him for the first time. So I went, sat down there behind, and there was a pastor preach, uh, preaching from John 3.16 that God loved the world, gave his only son, so that anybody who believed in him will not die. You know, when I left in the village, I didn't want to die. Mm-hmm. And the Bible is telling me here, there is a God who loved me. If I believe in him, I will not die. I wanted to know more about this God. Mm. And that was the turning point in my life. It changed everything uh, because then when we were in a, went to Ethiopia, we were thinking to get guns and go back and fight the Arab militiamen. But then when this God who loved me came into my uh, life, uh, that idea of going and revenge melted in my heart. And the need now was to know about this God. I didn't know how to read and write. I was 15 then. So I went to school to be able to know more about this God. And that is what, uh, what happened. So we stayed in the refugee camps, uh, became part of the church, uh, being baptized, attending the church, and was able to read the gospel in my mother tongue. Mm. And we, uh, we went on. Um, then in 91, we had a problem in Ethiopia. The Ethiopian government was overthrown, and we were kicked out from, uh, from the camps. We went to another refugee camp in Kenya. And in this uh, refugee camp, I continued with my education, but then God provided uh, a godly man, a missionary, called Mark Nickel, became my mentor in the camps. And he's the person, and he offered to provide uh, high school education for me in the refugee camps. So we, uh, we, we continue on uh, going on in the refugee camp in, 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 in Kenya. Just to give some context to this as well, Growing up in Vietnam, what access to education did you have, and what would have been normal for people in your type of a setting where you grew up? Uh, in Vietnam, there was no school. There was, uh, there was nothing. Zero. People, uh, yeah, people were not going to school. People didn't hear the gospel, too. Got it. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So, um, so James spends uh, 12-ish years, 13 years in Vietnam, is chased out basically by all these attacks that are happening. In fact, he recently really leaves because of one significant attack, and then... Uh, flees with you know, 20, 30,000 other boys to get to, the, um, to get to the refugee camp. And he remains there for about 13 years mm-hmm. in the refugee camp. Some of you have heard of the, the Lost Boys of Sudan. Uh, they, they were nicknamed the Lost Boys because they arrived at this camp without parents. And it was, seemed to be a very suitable nickname for them. Um, and you may be aware of some Lost Boys of Sudan that live among us, even here in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, the United Nations partnered with the United States uh, to sponsor a really large relocation program for many of these young boys so that they could start a new life over here in the United States, to leave behind them the horrors and the difficulties of war and of famine and fighting and hardship, all that. The, these boys were really offered a golden ticket. Here you go. We're going to give you another chance to start life all over again in the USA. And you were offered one of these tickets, right? Yes. Tell us about that. Yeah, that, that, that's right. Uh, well, in the refugee camp in Kenya, uh, that program was being done, and it was exciting for all those boys. Uh, at this point in time, I had read enough about the gospel, and the gospel was burning in my heart. Hmm. I also had received enough education that I think would help my community. And I found that God was telling me to go back to South Sudan. Uh, in my community in Vietnam. But then there is this golden opportunity to come to the U.S. And during that time, we are hearing, U.S. is the best place on earth, just next to heaven. Mm-hmm. 
And so I wrestled with the question, uh, going to South Sudan, war was still going on, or going to the US. Literally, it was like a choice of going to heaven or going to hell. And I wrestled with that. I, I went to the rooms and pray and say, God, you see, I have suffered enough. I want to go to the US, not mm -hmm. to South Sudan. But then God revealed it again in my heart that I want you to go back to South Sudan. So I wrestled with this question uh, many times. And then I went to the, my mentor, uh, called Mark Nickel, in the camp. I said, this is what I find God is telling me to go back. And I had my parents are no more, but I find that God is telling me to go back to South Sudan. But I don't want to lose this golden opportunity uh, to going to the US, to further my education, live well there. Uh, and then he said, if I were you, I would follow what God is telling you. Hmm. And that act like a confirmation that God wanted me to go back to South Sudan. So I declined the, the offer that was given to me. And actually, literally, I returned the form. There was some form to be filled. I returned the, to the officer who was doing it. And he said, why are you returning your things without filling them? I said, I want to go back to South Sudan. What about if you die? I said, in South Sudan, millions have died. If I die only, it will make no difference. I walk away, and he was thinking, uh, that officer was thinking I'm a crazy boy. <laughs> and so I went away and actually uh, took the opportunity and went back to South, uh, to South Sudan. Mm -hmm. And so that is, uh, that is what happened. I, I, I had the opportunity, but God uh, told me to go back to South Sudan. Uh, you had mentioned um, earlier uh, or this morning about two gifts you received when you were uh, in... Uh, in the refugee camps, mm -hmm. uh, the, the gospel and, and your education as, as you were there. And then mm -hmm. as you went back to South Sudan, mm -hmm. uh, talk about uh, what happened when you got there and how God, God used those two things in your life. Uh, thank you. Uh, yeah. Um, now I had heard that uh, my parents are no more. It was 13 years ago that I left the village. Mm -hmm. I had heard they are no more. I was not expecting them. They had heard also, I am no more. I have died and they were not expecting me. And so when I went back to the village, someone said, I know where, you, where your parents are. He led me, our village was destroyed and they ran to another village. So they led me there and surprisingly, I made my parents, they were alive. Hmm. They, thank you. Thank you. Uh, we held ourselves like for 15 minutes. No words, just crying. Mm. It, was, it was a moment of reunion. Mm. And my father went in and took out two big bulls. They were slaughtered, and we celebrated like for two weeks, celebration. <laughs> <laughs> just to give some context, in Vietnam, uh, cows are currency. Mm -hmm. It's very, very rare that you will kill a cow uh, for any purpose other than to, like usually you're trading money when you're trading cows. When you slaughter a bull, it's a significant deal. That means you are celebrating something of incredible significance. And this was a two bull day when James came Two home. bulls! <laughs> yeah, no, that's right, no. yeah. And, and so I took the opportunity in that feast, in that celebration, I took opportunity to share the gospel right away. And this is what I told them. I said the God who protected my life and brought me to you is a more powerful God than your small gods. And the proof is he has protected me and brought me back. I invite you to believe in this God. 
He's more powerful. He will protect you. He will, uh, he will serve you. And my father and other elders, they went in under a tree. They went and met and talked, and then they came back to me and said, James, uh, we believe in this God called Jesus Christ, but we don't know about him. You are going to teach us about him. Mm -hmm. That gave me the opportunity. We identify a big tree, make some benches, and that was my first church in our mm -hmm. community. And I had the privilege of leading my own mother, my own father, siblings, and the community to Christ. Mm -hmm. That became the first church. And then God did, um, did some miracles. In our community, um, when you are sick, you are going to die. Uh, that's, what, that's what I have no clinic. That was, uh, that was there during that time. Uh, also, there are poisonous snakes. When they bite you, you are just going to be buried. You are going to, to die. But then, uh, when we were in this, uh, in the evening, we gather together, sing gospel songs, uh, read the Bible, and then we pray. So when we pray for somebody who is sick, or someone who is bitten by a snake or a scorpion, a person just woke up and go. Hmm. He's well. And then he went back and say to other people, and then there was a word, there is power, there is new power in the village called Jesus Christ. So we find ourselves actually praying for many people, and many people get ill. And then uh, Warley was able to come over, uh, give more food and relief, and, and that's when I met uh, with the Fellowship Bible Church team and uh, team from Good Shepherd Community Church. That's Let me, I'm going to yeah. jump, just yeah. grab something here. Um, I don't want us to miss this because we can think that, uh, wow, that's, that's amazing in South Sudan. That's, wow, that happened over there and James went through these things. All of us go through life and along the way, each one of us at different times are offered the golden ticket. And let's just own it here. It's a, it could be a promotion. It could be we need to move. We need to, I got a raise. I'm going to use this money for that. We, uh, what we finally dreamed of, our dream home, we're going to go. We get it, we offered, we're offered the golden ticket. And I don't want you to miss that what James had, what had happened in James's life, before he was offered the golden ticket, you heard him say his heart was consumed by Christ. And therefore, when the golden ticket came, he, the spirit in him enabled him to go, uh, it's, a, it's a paper ticket. Mm -hmm. That's not the golden ticket. Now, I'm not saying that every opportunity you and I have to move ahead, to, to take a promotion, to you know, get, a, get more resources, I'm not saying don't buy the dream house or anything. What I am saying is, is it motivated and driven by a heart that is consumed by Christ. For indeed, Christ may say, take the ticket, go. Or he may say, go back home and tell others about Christ. Now, what happened in his village, you understand, is inseparable from the choice he made. You can't separate these two things. That his heart was consumed by Christ, and I must go back, as Paul said. And then these things happen to see his mom and dad, to see his village come to Christ, and to see the story continue, even as it does now, 
picking up with, oh my goodness, how does fellowship get connected with this man? Right, and I wanna piggyback on that because there's a part of me that's, I'm naturally a bit of a skeptic. And when you hear stories of miracles, there's a part of you that feels like, and when you read in the book of Acts, for example, there's a part of you that feels like that's how God used to work you know, back then. But we really don't see or experience that much today. James, when he goes forth proclaiming the name of Christ in Vietnam, saw literal miracles, miraculous healings from people being bitten by poisonous snakes that would ensure death. They would lay hands on these people, they would pray for them, and they would be fine. It still happens today, guys. It's the power of the, power of the name of Christ going out yes. miraculously as the, as the, as the um, name is proclaimed. Yes. Now, at some point in time, the path of James Bach would intersect with Fellowship Bible Church. Can you tell us what that looked like? Where do we uh, cross paths uh, in your story? Uh, yes, in 2000, um, a team from Fellowship Bible Church, Good, Good Shepherd Community Church, and Warley, they team up and they came up to the village in Vietnam. Mm-hmm. And one of the people from Fellowship Bible Church was Merida Skinder. He was the one uh, leading the team. And we were able to meet in Vietnam, and they came to me and said, James, we are excited, we are about the church, and we are happy to find you here in your own community sharing the gospel. We are excited, and we want to encourage you. Uh, We want to help uh, two two things. If there are two things to be done to help your community uh, and and your church, uh, what would they be? So I told them, uh, I have uh, a number of pastors, a number of... uh, uh, of evangelists who are sharing God's word. They had no opportunity to go to school or going to theological college. I need a program that, uh, that address them so, uh, so that they can be taught to be able to share the gospel well, not mix it with African culture or South mm-hmm. Sudanese culture so that the word of God can, can go forth. Yep. And so that program was named as Pastoral Leadership Training Institute, training pastors, evangelists to be able to share the gospel well. And Lloyd... And Mike has been coming over the years to actually to help in that program. Um, then uh, there was uh, people who were not going to school 13 years away that I, after going back to the village, people were still not going to school. And then I said, we need a primary school that can be able, so that the children here can be able to go to school. Mm-hmm. And so that they sponsored those programs and those two programs started and we went on. Uh, primary school uh, uh, going. Actually, we start under three, and we are able to hire a teachers who can be able to do that. And so that is one of the, these are the, the things that, and then uh, there are a lot other programs okay. that were. Um, yeah, so uh, elementary school was built. Mm-hmm. Uh, Pastor Leadership Training Institute was formed. Yes. What are some of the other stuff that uh, Fellowship partnered with you in? Uh, yeah, um, children were dying because of uh, dirty water. And so, uh, Foley Chief sponsored some, some wells uh, that were drilled so that uh, people can have clean water. That was one, uh, one project. Then there was women program, uh, dial literacy program, uh, women training programs, and Michelle York, she's sitting there, was one of the people that has helped that program. Women's ministry was launched. Uh, we also had trauma healing training uh, because of the people are exposed to many... Uh, many atrocities, many problems. Uh, people are traumatized. And for pastors and evangelists and these people who are caregivers, if they cannot heal from their uh, trauma, they cannot lead well. And so trauma healing provides a service space mm. for these people to share their stories, and through that they are able to heal. And so that is uh, also um, a program that was, uh, that was, uh, that was supported. That's and awesome. actually children ministry. 
Um, Emily, yes. Emily is there. She has come, and she has been coming to Vietnam and help us in the children's ministry. So, so those are the programs that have been uh, really uh, supported. I, I smuggled one more photo into the, into the batch here. There's a little hijinks that goes on from time to time in Vietnam. I couldn't find my suitcase last year. I brought a whole bunch of teaching materials for the PLTI program, and I was looking for the suitcase I was trying to bring home, and it was nowhere. I'm like, where is this? Well, it was taken over and turned into an, uh, an, into a, uh, an all-terrain vehicle. And uh, anyways, it's, uh, it's not all business that happens in Vietnam. There's some fun that goes on there, too. So anyways, um, there's one more big thing that happened in Vietnam this past year I know you're excited about. Do you want to share that with us? Yes. Um, you know, when I went back, uh, one of the goals was to... Uh, is to share the gospel and also have uh, seeing education uh, uh, as something that has worked to transform my life. I want to see this thing in my community. And over the years, because of the primary school we established, learning stopped at eighth grade. The eighth grade, that is when the learning stopped. But just in April last year, we had a high school education for the first ever in our community. Mm. Can I show you a video? Yeah. Yes. Hey, this is the former Hobson schools. The roof was taken off by wind as a result of uh, poor workmanship. There, there was a big gap of education in this community. Seen during the war, there, there have been no schools, but this is the first of its kind to be established in Vietnam. Our Heavenly Father, we are humbled today to stand before you to dedicate this school, Hope, secondary school here in Vietnam, South Sudan. And now I'm at school learning. And my school, his name is Hope Secondary School. And I like that name. I also have hope in my heart. There is mathematics, English, physics, theory, and all other subjects. My hope in the next, uh, in the next 10 years, 20 years, I hope this school will produce uh, leaders, will produce uh, girls and men that can come out in this school and they can uh, help the community. My favorite subject is science. I want to be a doctor. As I'm a doctor, all the people will come. I will treat them well. Even these teachers, they will become old. They come to me. They say that our child come and treat us. I will treat them very well. Love education. I have a hope for a bright future. Love, 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 love one another. We are one body in Christ. What can I do? 
for the people who found me all these years. What can I do for the people who pray for me day and night? May they see the grace of God, the blessing of God. Blah, blah, blah. Love one another. We are one body in Christ. Thank you. I want to take this opportunity to thank Polish Bible Church uh, for their generosity, for their love for these people in Vietnam. Your gifts have been a very fundamental, providing hope, and we thank God for the Hope Secondary School that Polish Bible Church has funded. I want to say thank you, because you have provided a hope that will transform a generation to come. And I want to thank you, Polish Bible Church. Thank you very much. God bless you. Thank you, Fellowship Bible Church. Another, uh, another great reminder, uh, y'all, it's not about us. We don't gather in this room. We don't meet across this campus. We don't meet in homes week by week in small groups to be equipped to be about us, but to be about the world around us. We don't miss our local community as we just looked at earlier. We also never take our sights off the end of the world. Uh, when you go there, I remember going, uh, you know, for the, maybe first or second time that we uh, visited some schools and uh, I'm going to tell you, first time I went, my kids were at uh, Walnut Grove Elementary. Maybe one was at Grassland. But I did not approach my parent-teacher conference. I did not walk into that school with the same set of eyes hmm. when I looked at what we have in Williamson County or Davidson County or Murray County in terms of a school system and a place to sit and school supplies from Target and everywhere else. And you walk through these schools and you see what they have and what they sit on and yet their eagerness to learn. It's not a shaming statement at all. It's an awakening statement in my own heart to recognize we get the opportunity to entrust to others all that God has given us. That, the, that, that what he's given us, we steward it that others locally and around the world have that opportunity to learn. And I guarantee you, this young lady, she'll be a doctor one day. And she will take care of that teacher who's teaching her now. James, I want to give you an opportunity to speak to us from your heart. What's, what does the Lord put on your heart? Where are you? And we just want to hear God. And we know when you speak, we do. Thank you. Um, uh, thank you very much, Lloyd. Um, I want to express my thanks uh, I know many people in our community uh, would wish to thank you, and there is not that opportunity for them to come here. But I want to say um, there is something unique about this church. There is something unique about you. Over the years, there have been many organizations, many church groups that have come to our village, and seeing the needs 
they are confused what to do, and they pack their thing and go. But this church has stayed with us. In our bad times, they have never abandoned us. And so I want to thank you for your love. I want to thank you for being the hands, for being the feet, for being the heart of Jesus Christ. Team that you have sent over, they have been an encouragement to us. Lloyd has come, Mike has come, uh, Michelle here, they have come, and they have shared the love of Fellowship Bible Church. And that is what encourages us to continue with the ministry. It's very hard, but when you know someone is there who cares for you, who prays for you, it gives you more energy. And so I want to say thank you very much for your prayers and thank you for not living uh, about yourself, but thinking about us in South Sudan. I want to say thank you uh, for me to, to go back to my community and see young, these young people having hope, having an education, having the gospel. That is great. We cannot do this without you. And I want to say thank you, thank you. May God bless you. And uh, I think I speak for all of us when I say thank you for your courage and your faith, for uh, allowing us to walk alongside of you and uh, watch you struggle and, yes, fail or things don't go the way we hope and they don't go the way we hope here either, just so you know. And uh, to believe, we, we believe in Christ in you Amen. and we trust him in you. Um, next week... Rob Sweet will stand up here and he will say, I want you to open your Bibles to the book of Acts. And I want to say to you, as we begin this journey in Acts, we are going to find ourselves going, wait a minute, that's, all, that's what James said. Wait, wait, that's what happened to James. That's a, and it's exactly what happened to James. Somebody, y'all... We don't even know the person's name invited a young boy, James Bach, in a refugee camp to a church. He heard the gospel. And then God uses this man to reach his village for Christ. And they gather under a tree. Under a tree. And they still do it today. And the gospel continues to move forward. And yes, you know, in this setting, it's... It, People get bitten by snakes and they live. God affirming his hand on that work and in those people. And then a bunch of us over here in Williamson County, Murray County, Davidson County. You know, we complain when the air conditioning, one of them's not working. You know, I do. I'm talking about me. I complain. I go, guys, get this thing working, the air conditioning. You know? And we need, James, we need you to remind us of what matters most. Amen. We need you to show us what it looks like when the gospel has captured your heart. You cannot live the way the world lives. We'll explore that together when we dive into Acts. When I left Vietnam for the first time, I remember praying with James on the airstrip, and something in me just felt like things were different for me after that. I, I can't explain it. 
I have a hard time understanding it myself, but there was two things that really stirred in me when I got to spend time with James. Number one, I became a big believer in his ministry and in what he was doing. And number two, I wanted to figure out what can I do to make it easier for you? How can I equip you? How can I resource you? How can I support you? What part can I play in your ministry? And so if there's any of you in this room today that have been touched by the story of James or have been motivated uh, by the work that he's doing in Vietnam, I just want to let you know that we've actually got an information meeting that's set up for this afternoon back here on campus. And my wife warned me, do it after football and before dinner. If you're, this is going to work out, it, it's Sunday night, don't mess with family dinner, and if the Titans are playing, stay out of the way. So we are, we're meeting over here in the barn this afternoon from 4 o'clock till 5.15, just 75-minute gathering. Um, but if you'd like to learn a little bit more about what James is doing, come back. What we looked at today, this is actually the tip of the iceberg of James's ministry and what he's doing in South Sudan. I would encourage you, come here more this afternoon. Let's stand together. We will have an opportunity to give uh, when uh, global Christmas hits, right? In a couple, gosh, it's just a couple months we'll be doing that. Less under our tree, more for the world and continuing to partner with James in his work. I want to read over you a reality from the book of Revelation, chapter 5, Verse 9, the elders bowed before the throne, and it says they sang a new song saying, Worthy are you, this is to Jesus, to take the book and to break its seals. For you were slain, and you purchased for God with your blood men from every tribe and tongue and people and nation. You have made them to be a kingdom and priests to our God, and they will reign upon the earth. Oh God, we have today had the great honor to sit with our brother, a different tribe, a different tongue, a different people, a different nation, one secured body by the blood of Jesus Christ. We rejoice with him we grieve with him. We hurt with him as he looks upon his country and his people. And we rejoice and are glad with him when we see your work in his life and in theirs. Lord, would you bless James? Clearly your hand moving in mysterious ways upon him for his good and your glory. And we thank you, Lord, that in your kindness... You have connected us with men and women just like him all across the globe and even locally where we live. Let us steward these relationships with generosity and wisdom for the extension of your kingdom and not our own. In Christ's name, amen. And if you want to come and greet James before you head out, come up and do that. God bless.